This is Ari Lehman, the first Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th. And you are listening to geeksoftheindustry.com. Jason never dies. Geeks of the Industry. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily a... We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next... Creature Features, a horror discussion from geeksoftheindustry.com, and now your host, Chunky Larry. Greetings fellow insomniacs and welcome to a very special episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com. I'm your host, my name is Chunky Larry, and this is one of the weirdest, coolest things that I've ever been able to do. As a podcaster, I've been able to speak to people that I genuinely admire and enjoy, Um, but there's always those situations that arise that you could never account for, and this is absolutely one of them. Um, As many of you know, I've always been a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street. But I've also obsessed over Friday the 13th. And in this episode, I get the distinct privilege of being able to speak with the heartbeat of the Friday the 13th franchise. The, the, the voice that you hear in every single film. Uh, a sound that is synonymous with the films. And the creator of that sound. And it is a true honor and privilege for me to be able to say that over the course of this conversation, which will take place as soon as I stop talking, I had the opportunity to speak with the composer Harry Manfredini, and it's a lot of fun. It is unconventional in the way that we do the show. As you will see, it just kind of gets going. Uh, So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with composer Harry Manfredini on the Creature Features Podcast. I had to run upstairs and change my shorts when I saw that thing. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, in preparation for any interview, I like to, you know, go back and look at the back catalog, yes. if you will. I, I want to know where the hell you even found it. I was watching uh, Manny's Orphans, and I was just like, holy shit, he's in this! 
Oh yeah, I was a talking head. Yeah, you were you were one I of the personnel. You, I could even I could even tell you my line. I, I forget what you said, but it, it was it was a it was very quick, and it it was one of those well, things where it was like if you if you did looked away for a second, you wouldn't see it, and uh, I was like, uh, wait a minute. Let me, let me just tell you this. I'll, I'll, then we can go on to whatever we really want to talk. This is this is really funny because. We're doing this movie, Manny's Orphans, which at one time was called Kick, and mm-hmm. then they changed it to Manny's Orphans. It was it was an attempt to uh, pick up on the bad news bears, kind of like of, uh, well, you know, it was bad news bears uh, soccer. Yeah, okay, just like Here Come the Tigers. Just like Here Come the Tigers, that was of course baseball. Yeah, but the thing was at that time. Uh, American soccer, there was a big push for an American soccer league. It never really grew up. To, you know, now now we have a an MLS, but but uh, we this was back. I don't even know what year that was. That had to be like seventy eight, seventy eight, something like that. Anyway, so uh, I don't, I don't. Oh, I was at Sean Sean Cunningham's house, and. Uh, we, he says to me, we need, we need some talking heads. Do you want to be a talking head? And I said, I don't know, maybe I could be a talking head. So he said, so he had written out on a cue card everything that I had to say. <laughs> and it was basically, basically me saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Man. And what I ended up saying was, I'm sorry, Mr. Mansfield, but we don't see you fitting into our overall hiring picture. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's what it ended up to be. What he had written out was just like six sentences. Now, look, I'm a musician. <laughs> you can turn, turn on you can turn on a tape recorder and I'll play saxophone for like eight hours, you know, or or you know, cock around on a piano or do whatever or sit and talk or do whatever you want. But for me to read off a cue card and, and try to deliver this, it, I, my mouth just stopped working. Okay? <laughs> I have I have what we call in the music business red light fever. Yeah, or uh, the Cindy Brady syndrome. You were just like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like well, you know, you know, remember in uh, what was it in uh, broadcast news where he was doing the news and he was in the sweat and pouring out of it. <laughs> anyway, so here's, here's Sean is sitting there and Barry Abrams, I believe his name was, was the uh, 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 cinematographer. And we're just in his house, you know. So, yeah, you don't, don't even worry about what you're wearing. Just, you know, put a tie on and just, uh, you know, say this. And he holds up this thing in front of me. Well, in those days, this is back in the days of film, where you had a 10-minute load in your film, okay? <laughs> and well, it's an independent film, so I can only imagine Sean started looking well, at his clock and looking at his wallet. Well, anyway, <laughs> I'm trying take one, take two, take three. I mean, we're getting like take 26, take 27, and I, my mouth will not work. Barry Abrams is on the floor, rolling on the floor, laughing. Sean is rolling on the floor, laughing. And of course, that isn't helping my performance. What? <laughs> so finally, they just said, "Look, say it in your own words. Just say, you know, we're sorry, but you don't fit into our overall hiring picture." So I I got that out, and that was it. So that's my uh, that was my first foray into. Uh, There were talks of Academy Awards, but nothing. You know, I watching it. I thought, you know, this this is a best supporting actor right here. Oh, I was was good, but there's that one, and I I can tell you two more. Uh, uh, There was there was a a children's movie where I played saxophone uh, in something called Frog Goes to Dinner. Where a frog, uh, they're at a fancy restaurant and we're playing. And while I'm not, I was playing flute, that I switched to the saxophone, and uh, I didn't know it, but the frog jumped into my saxophone, and and I blow really hard on the sax, and the frog flies out of my saxophone, 
across the restaurant into the lobster tank. Anyway, right, so if you, if you find that frog goes to dinner, it's a short children's film. I did the score too, but I, but I, uh, I, I, I was the saxophone player. And then the other one is probably my most famous and world-renowned uh, role, in which you didn't see me, but you heard me. I was the uh, the talking pizza in House Four. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was. It, it came hotter was the face of the, of the pizza, but when we were at the mix, uh, I was goofing around just sitting at the mix, and so I when she was fighting with the pizza, the cheese was pulling her into the uh, garbage disposal and stuff. I was sitting there making all these sounds like a like a angry pizza. And they're like, "Holy shit, that's really good! Go in the booth." So I go in the booth and I put a I put a a towel over my face so it sounded like I was in the box. And I uh, I started. Anyway, <laughs> so I was up for a voiceover uh, Oscar, but that didn't happen either. So. So if the music anyway, thing didn't take off, you were going to be just a world-renowned actor. I, I, if you ever needed a singing pizza, I was the guy. <laughs> That's amazing. Anyway, so, wow, you, you, but I, then I looked at that picture and I went, oh my God, where did he put this? <laughs> he just pulled up one well, of the worst parts of my up. life. <laughs> it came came back, Manny's Orphans. I didn't know, I, I really didn't know where that was from. I just went, Wow. Yeah, uh, like I said, man, I, I tried to do my due diligence, uh, you know, and just go well, back well, as far well, as I, I can. There were people just rolling on the floor because I could not, I could not for the life of me deliver a line. I had to make up my line. Oh, and then, of course, so I I, uh, I said to Sean, I said, okay, I said, I'm going to get you for this uh, later on. Uh, shortly after that, we did a movie called Spring Break. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to have you come in and be one of the clappers, like a background clapper on a song. And then I'm going to give you a symbol, and I want you to hit the symbol in time <laughs> with the music. And of course, he couldn't do that either. So I felt, I felt like I had got my revenge on it anyway. <laughs> You're like, oh, you think this acting thing's tough? Get over here behind these keys. <laughs> yeah, try, try, try doing a cymbal crash in the right spot. You know. Oh, that's of amazing. Now, of course, now you can. Now these days, you can take the cymbal crash and put it anywhere you want it. But uh, in those days, you had to play it in the right spot. Uh, and how did then, the relationship between you and Sean actually come to be? Because I know that you started uh, music at six, and you. Grew up in Chicago, yeah. I grew up in Chicago. Uh, six years old, I started studying, and since I was Italian, you can only imagine they handed me an accordion. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, you're Italian. Right. They're like, put "Come down, on, play Mambo Italiano." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Put down the cannoli, pick up the accordion. You know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So I, I started playing the accordion, and then uh, when I got to high school, my accordion teacher, who also played saxophone and flute and everything, said to me, hey, you know, you're going to be in the band when you get to high school. I was like in seventh grade. He says, you should learn to play a wind instrument. So uh, I started playing clarinet and saxophone. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time I got to high school, uh, the high school I went to didn't even have a band. But I, a bunch of my friends who, you know, were other people, uh, we started a little band in high school. So when I was like, I mean, this is crazy, but when I was like 16 years old, I was playing in a, like a sort of a rock and roll band that was in Chicago. And I was playing like six, what they called record hops. You weren't born in those days, but they were called record hops. And, uh, Whoever was like pushing their single, their 45, uh, Sam Cooke, or, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of people, 
you, you, you know who Sam Cooke is. Oh, of course. Uh, uh, anyway, they would come to Chicago with, you know, a box of records, and they called them record apps, and he'd come to the record app and hand out free records to everybody, and we would play uh, music, plus they would play records, and people, you know, kids would sock hops, you know, they would mm -hmm. be on a basketball floor. Anyway, so, and then he would, like, people like Sam Cooke and Dusty Springfield, I'm trying to think of people, that, you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of other name people, uh, Frankie Avalon, and, you know, a couple of people would come to town, and we, and we would actually get to play for them, and they would do, like, songs live, so, and I used to, and I would, I would even do record dates in Chicago, like, when I was 16, 17 years old, so, the thing was, I did that, and I always, I always wanted to be a film composer, which is very strange, because I think, when I was a kid, uh, I had I got influences from three places. My, my dad, who loved Italian opera, mm -hmm. so I was raised listening to Puccini and, and Rossini and Verdi and all that. So I had all that. My brother was into progressive jazz, so I, I had Stan Kenton and you know uh, bebop and stuff like that. And, and my mother loved to watch movies, and I used to stay up really late at night and watch the movies. And, and the music in these movies, I mean, these are, we're talking like New, Alfred Newman and, uh, you know, the classic black and white movies. Mm -hmm. I would watch these movies with her, and that music just really got to me. And that's what I wanted to do. And so when I went, finally got out of high school, I, I went to DePaul University and I was thinking of becoming a composer, and I kind of gave up, so I became a music educator. Then I went to get a master's at Western Illinois, where I got a master's in theory. And pretty much at that point, I gave up uh, wanting to be a composer. I just, you know, wanted to teach. I said, you can make an okay living doing this. It's kind of fun. So... Uh, then uh, I went back to Chicago for a while and uh, taught a little bit there and didn't do very well teaching there. It, was, I, I, it wasn't as much fun as it was at Western. Mm -hmm. But because uh, uh, I was teaching university, I mean, I was, you know, I, I graduated with a master's and bam, I got hired by Western Illinois. So uh, that was sort of cool. Uh, but then it wasn't so cool. And I went on a road Too much for a structure? No, you know, too much structure and then uh, just uh, not the same thing. When you're in a university out in the middle of nowhere, it's a, it's a big, you're, a, you're a, a big fish in a small pond mm -hmm. as opposed to being a small fish in a big pond, you know. You know and so it, it just didn't play very well. So, uh, I went on a road for a while, and I decided that it, the only way you're going to make any money teaching is to get a doctorate. And so I had applied to uh, four universities, oddly enough, the four corners of the United States, uh, Stanford, USC, Florida, and Columbia. Each one of them had a conducting uh, major, and I was a pretty good conductor. I learned at, at uh at DePaul and at Western, so I figured, hey, maybe I could do that. So, anyway, the only one that offered me any money was Columbia. So I went to New York to be a uh, conducting major at Columbia, where I ran into a guy named Bill Ramal, who was a record producer, and uh, he just liked me. We took me under his wing, and I just got by. I was playing in clubs in Jersey just I used to play I played in casinos that you would see the Sopranos at every night of the week so uh, that's <laughs> where I played in Jersey and what were you uh, playing were you was this saxophone uh, back sax? Back. I, I got to be pretty good I was you know, I'm still pretty good but I got to, I'm actually better than I was but I, I don't play so much anymore I was lost it, my job was it primarily jazz or was it still rock yeah yeah or? jazz no, not rock. Just mostly jazz and, you know, pop. Not mm. rock. 
So anyway, but I, you know, I, I played whatever, and I played some record dates and stuff like that. But Bill took me under his way, and um, so one day uh, he dro- he had driven me home. We had done a recording session there. I used to do copying and arranging and just anything that he wanted me to do. I, I just did for him. So he said, we, and he was getting a doctorate at Columbia at the time too. And boy, we're really going back in time. This is really fun for me. So uh, one day he sat in the car and he says to me, what is it that you really want to do? You know, and I said, well, I said, if I had my brothers, Bill, I would like to write film music. And he looks at me, you want to write film music? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, what are you going to write that Jerry Goldsmith or Henry Mancini is going to write? And I went, yeah, I don't know. I said, I don't really know. And I said, but you asked me what I really wanted to do. And I said, that would be my dream. He goes, okay, here's the, here's what you do tomorrow. Here's five things you got to do tomorrow to, to start in that direction. And he gave me the five things to do. And one of them was uh, this recording studio that we were at. The owner of the recording studio was making films on his own. Just He says, uh, go up to him and tell him you'll write the theme song to his next movie for free. He says, he doesn't know who you are. He doesn't even know who I am. When you're working, how is he going to say no? You know, if he doesn't like it, he doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Just tell him you'll write the theme song for free. Okay? So I said, I'll write it for free. He goes, okay. And it was like a rock thing, you know, like a, this, it was actually a porn film that he needed a rock tune for. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do it, you know. So two days later, I walk in and I said, uh, all right, here's the tune. He goes, great, I love the song. So that Wednesday afternoon, I get the rhythm section from, uh, a color, uh, not a color purple, uh, Raiders in the Sun. Mm. I mean, I keep the kick-ass rhythm section, and I play piano, and we lay down this silly song that was like a Bo Diddley tune. Don't chicka don't don't chicka don't go, don't chicka don't go, chicka don't go, like that. Anyway, so we so we find some girl to come in and sing the lyrics. Boom, and we're done. <laughs> and then he goes, you know, that's a really good track. He goes. I got an idea. Maybe we could make a shoe commercial out of it too. So we we changed all the words. <laughs> so 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 a song that was used a song that was used to sell sex was also used to sell shoes. Yeah, it was a track. I mean, it was just a track. I mean, you could sing anything you want to it, you know. So anyway, it became a shoe commercial. So uh, so uh, I got to know the engineer because I was working on this album and this song and. And so this engineer says to me, he says, I know a guy who uh, writes songs. Would you uh, do the arrangements on a couple of demos? And Bill says to me, he goes, yeah, you tell him you do them for free. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll do, I'll do two of them for free. Great. You know, he gives me the songs. I do the two arrangements for free. And this guy had actually uh, written uh, hit songs, I think. I think the guy uh, wrote "Walk Away, Renee." I don't, I don't know that song, but I think he wrote that. Anyway, so I wrote that. So, so we're in the studio. They're mixing this arrangement that I've done. I mean, you won't believe this, this. And this all happens like within weeks of each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're mixing this arrangement that I've done, and this guy walks. Who knew the elder? He walks by, and he's supposed to be to the track and he goes wow he goes it sounds like film music and I go like yeah I guess it does yeah sort of he goes I do films would you do a would you do a cue for my film you tell and me I you didn't say you'd do it for free I did I did it for free <laughs> so he said sure do it for free so I wrote that and then we recorded that okay all that all that being said, the next thing that happens is a friend of ours, you know, knew I wanted to do this and knew I was getting into the recording thing and said, 
she saw an ad. That, I don't know what what, what what town are you in? I'm not sure. I'm in California, Northern California. Oh, you're in Northern California. Well, there's a thing called Backstage. It's a uh, it's a like a trade paper. Uh, they have it in L.A. and they have it in New York and Chicago and places like that. So this is all in New York, of course. So it's backstage, and it was a little ad that composer film composer needs assistant. So she said, "Why don't you go uh, see what see what this guy can do?" Mm. So I'm going like, "What have I got? Okay, I've got a shoe commercial, two demos of a song, and uh, a uh, another a third piece of music." And uh, some charts that I wrote. And then meanwhile at Columbia, I really got into composing. Uh, a, a, the teacher at the Columbia University, his name was Don Fornudo, he really, he inspired me. And so that was a huge, he, he got me to write and I was doing things. So I showed this guy, uh, Arlen Older, who was a film composer, who, uh, he looked at what I had done. He goes, yeah, great. He goes, here, orchestrate this. Bring it in tomorrow. Let me see what you do. You know, for blah, 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 blah instruments. Okay, good. I, I bring it in the next day. He goes, oh, this is really good. Okay, here, orchestrate these six things for tomorrow. Or, or you know, bring it in. You know, All right, so I bring it back in. These are really good. A week later, I did a studio conducting a 50-piece orchestra of some stuff that I orchestrated for this composer. And I'm rolling, you know, I, I already have a game. All at once, I'm not thinking so much about getting a doctorate. I'm going like, hey, maybe I could do this, you know. Anyway, uh, in that same year, Arlen and I, Arlen, by the way, has passed. He's, he was older than I was. And he just had, he had, you know, this is, you know, how, how you don't, you know, how your life is going to turn out. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so we worked together in New York. So in that particular year, the first year that we worked together, we did two films. One was called Angel and Big Joe, which was actually one of Paul Sorvino's first movies. It was a little, it was a short children's film, and it won Best Documentary, uh, Best Short Film, to the Academy Awards. Oh, wow. And the other one, the other one we wrote was called "The End of the Game," which we wrote for five weeks, and it it won best documentary short. And so at that point, Arlen said, "I've got to go to California. This is this is my chance to to make it. I've got these you know these films, so I'm staying in New York." And you have to understand, every relationship I had in film was basically Arlen's relationship, not mine, mm -hmm. you know. So I'm sitting in an office going like, you know, crickets. You know, nothing's happening. And the phone rings one day, and so this guy says, you, you, <laughs> this, is a, this is a long version of how I got to meet Sean Cunningham. Oh, no, I'm enjoying um, the hell out of this. Please. All right, good. I'm glad you are. All right, so... Uh, this guy said, uh, hi, this is, uh, my name is Gary Templeton, and, uh, I do short, uh, short children's films, and I understand you did, you, you're the company that did Angel and Big Joe. Oh, yeah, we did. He goes, well, I have a film, uh, called Elizabeth and the Marsh Mystery. Would you like to score it? I said, sure, okay. So, I score this, uh, uh, Elizabeth and the Marsh Mystery. And then he does yet another one called uh, uh, A Boy, a Dog, and a Frog. All, all nonverbal films in which the music literally has to tell the story. So, anyway, we do those films. And actually, I did a couple other children's films too for the company that uh, Alan and I worked for together. And so he says to me, hey, he says, I know this guy in Connecticut who's doing a children's uh, feature. Maybe, you know, he'd like to use you. And I said, sure, yeah. So I go up and I meet this guy named Sean Cunningham who is doing this movie called uh, Here Come the Tigers. 
Because, understand that, I'm not doing it for free anymore. I actually get some money. <laughs> Thankfully. <So I'm> <laughs> you, you'd work on some things that win Academy Awards. You could start charging people. Well, yeah, but I mean, these are like nothing. You know, I'm still playing four nights a week in Jersey. You know. Uh, but I was, And I was going to school, too. So, anyway, uh, I did uh, Here Come the Tigers, and then like anything else, you, you know, you get into the low-budget film business, especially in New York, uh, and all you have to do is one or two films, and all at once, there are editors who go, oh, this guy does, did a great job, you should get him. Or, the, you know, it's the cinematographer, or somebody recommends you for another film. So the next thing you know... Yeah, kind of I word of mouth. Like, yeah, word, it's all word of mouth because... It's a very small community that are making these films. Mm -hmm. So uh, we ended up doing, I ended up doing a couple other features uh, in New York. Uh, one called uh, The Curly and Witness. Uh, trying to think of another one. Uh, Night Flowers. So one that he, Night Flowers, wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, really nice score. Anyway, uh, and then, uh, so Sean, we do, we're going to do this, the, the, the film that's going to put us on the map, kick, uh, Manny's Orphans. And so I do that one. And then that didn't work either. So one day Sean calls me up and we're having dinner in his kitchen. And he says, I'm going to make the scariest movie ever called Friday the 13th. And you're going to write the music. And I went, okay. Well, <laughs> Can, can I ask I because I had no idea, I had no idea what I was going to write or what I even what he, I even thought of. I, I, what's really weird is I'm not a huge horror movie fan, mm -hmm. so I don't I didn't know a lot of horror films or anything. Uh, so uh, I just said, okay, fine, you know, and so uh, he made Friday the Thirteenth and. I did my best, and the rest is history, you know. Well, um, one of the things I was curious about, specifically with interacting with Sean Cunningham, um, he produced Last House on the Left, which is kind of, to me, one of the most almost surreal, terrifying, documentary-style horror films Um and I know that they used a lot of David Hess's music, but the, the one thing that I was wondering is, uh, were you around while that was being made? Was were no. you ever approached? You weren't around. That was no, brief. no, no. I, I I didn't I didn't know him at that time, and I, I don't even know who David Hess is. And I, I actually have never seen the movie, so I couldn't. I Fair. really I. I, I I, I'm sorry, but I'm a blank on that one. Oh, no, no I worries. Made, I know he made that movie, and it did quite well. And uh, I believe Wes was also involved in that, too, right? Who you also worked with on Swamp Thing and Hills Have Eyes, too. Uh, right. But but let's talk about Friday the 13th, because it, it is sure. it is kind of the... Almost like the 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 thing that you're most known for, which is a shame because you work, it, to me personally is tremendous and there there's a specific piece of music that really sticks out to me in the first friday the 13th and it's uh sail away tiny sparrow uh, the yeah. ending the you know i mean obviously it's played kind of early on in the movie uh when annie's at the diner but the yeah. the ending when it comes in it it, it has this really poignant like almost uh whimsical but sad feeling to it and it, it it also has this kind of trailing effect that it just it really like every time i hear it i get goosebumps because it's just it's haunting in in its simplicity it's it's beautiful and it's a stripped down version of the song you hear kind of early on in the movie and right. uh, i'm i'm curious to know specifically with that song uh, because it is tonally different than everything else that you did in the film, uh, what the motivation was for that? Was that just to put the audience at ease so 
when you do that sting when Jason jumps out. Is that kind of what facilitated well, that song, or? There's all right. Okay, here here comes another long story. Oh no, no, please. <laughs> okay, when when uh, I first saw Friday the Thirteenth. Here's what here's what I've learned over the years that I know, and I do I do a lot of lectures on on film scoring and to uh, colleges and stuff where I go and talk about film scoring or just writing you know music for film and stuff like that, and and the difference between a composer like a composer I call it a composer composer like some guy who's writing a symphony or a or a string quartet or something like that and a film composer is that a film composer is 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 part dramatist and sometimes the dramatist is way more important than the composer but you've got to tell the story you've got to say what has to be said in a musical way without you know using words you have to say what needs to be said and you have to make sure that the director and the writer, what they're trying to do with the movie, that you're on board in an, an aural, A-A-U-R-A-L sense, uh, musically, that is, that is making this drama work, okay? Now, all right, so that's, that's that thing. So that information, put that off to the side. So now... I, the first time I saw Friday the 13th, there was no music. Uh, there was just some temp stuff that they dropped in. Mm-hmm. And when it was over, I said to myself, I said to myself, who the hell is going to watch this movie? I didn't, I'm going like, I don't even get this. You know, I was completely baffled by uh, what was going on. So, I... Uh, you know, and then of course I've got to score this, you know, because I got used to eating and I needed to make money. <laughs> so, so you know, and then slowly but surely, I, I when when the dramatist part of me kicked in, then I knew what I had to do. You know, so anyway, so and that's where that there's that's where that idea of opera, you know, going back to opera mm-hmm. and, and feeling the, the dramatic power of music, not you know, in a dramatic sense. So anyway, but what happened was in the diner scene, they had put in a Dolly Parton song, which I don't know the name of. Uh, somebody once looked it up and I don't remember it. But in the, in the, uh, in that song, there was, there was a line, fly away little bluebird. Okay. Fly away, little bluebird, and I'm going like, oh, that's kind of a cool line, you know. Yeah. And then, and then I was just thinking, I'm saying to myself, a country song. It, it had to be a country song because we were in this rural area, and it had to be a hit song, okay? Because it was playing on the radio, so it had to be a really kind of a hit song. So I just said, okay. It's a song about Fly Away Little Bluebirds about a, a girl who had lost, uh, you know, she married her high school sweetheart. In a way, it's almost like Mrs. Voorhees. Uh, she married her high school sweetheart, and he was a butthead. <laughs> I mean, there's a million country songs about this. Yes. And she just leaves. You know, I, there's, a, uh, there's a Sarah Evans song. Uh, called I Learned That From You, which is the same sort of story. I mean, but anyway, so I, so I sat down, I said, I'm just going to write, first of all, we can't afford a, a Dolly Parton song, since we know. We, we, you know yeah. That would have that been more money than the entire production, you know, so. We, so I had to write a country western song that was a hit that, you know, said something. So, I just wrote at this song, and then I said, okay, instead of fly away little bluebird, I made it sail away tiny sparrow, okay? So, you know, I don't know if you know all the lyrics, but 
some of them I remember. Anyway, you know, uh, all your friends had said your life was uh, your life was made in heaven. Well, the last few years has been a living hell. When all your tears have dried and you have tried to find a way, well, there ain't no way as far as you can tell. Go on and sail away, Piney Sparrow. You know, go away. You know, spread your wings and live your dream. Anyway, just, so, I, by the way, you, you notice I day. can't sing. <laughs> you, you notice I can't sing. Uh, anyway, that's why you got uh, Angela Rotella, right? <laughs> yeah, well, now what's, that's even funnier. Angela Rotella and all those people... That was a band I used to play bar mitzvahs with in, in, in New Jersey. They, just, they came in and sang the song off the, you know, you know, yeah. They're, they're also the camp. Did you have also the campfire? They're also the campfire singers too. Really? You know, you know. In fact, I'm one of the campfire singers. I can, so, I can imagine you. Hallelujah, yeah, milk and honey on the other side, looking like a car salesman. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you have to understand, this is gorilla film music writing, you know. Alright, so anyway, it's so that's, that's where that song, uh, you know, that's how that song came to exist. Alright, so now, the next problem is this. And... I said to Sean, we don't even know who the killer is until real nine. I said, but the killer's in the entire film. So we have to, we have, we have to let the audience know that what they're seeing is the killer, not the cameraman. You know, it's not just, you know, it's the stalker. It's the person who's the killer, even though the killer's not, we don't see it. We don't know who it is. But they have to know immediately, uh-oh, you know, bad stuff's going to happen. So, it, it's very reminiscent of the Jaws theme, that ba-dum, ba-dum. Well, it well, it where, distinguishes. Well, that's, where, that's where I had to come up with the sound, you know. So, like, whatever you, uh, whatever it was, the killer, you know, the uh, sound, you know, I, I said, you know, we should only have the music for the killer. We should never have music anywhere else in this film, in the first Friday the 13th. I said, because the, the music is going to be the killer. So I, so I limited the music only to be there, for the most part, for the killer. And, and then the, the idea that sound came at the end of the movie when you see that close-up of Mrs. Voorhees and you see her say, killer mommy, killer mommy, and it goes back and forth from Jason to her, and I went, well, shit, she hears voices, you know? So then I just made K-I, like that, mm. and M-A, and I echoed it, like that. So every time it was the killer, the point of view of the killer, I put that in, so that immediately the, the the killer became part of the movie, and not and not just the cameraman. So in a way, the music actually became a character, you know. So, uh, oops, my my charger fell off. Hold on a second. You still there? Yeah, I, I'm here. So, uh, so anyway, so that that's that part of the film so alright so that gets us all the way to the end where uh, Alice kills uh, Mrs. Voorhees mm -hmm. so now I'm going like okay now we got this great scare thing that we're that we're building up to okay and this goes this goes in part to not only uh, what I did but with Sean and uh, the editor, uh, I can't, his name escapes me, uh, Italian guy, Steve Miner, and, and also, I uh, can't think of his last name. If you look, you'll see the editor. It's very nice. Uh, Frida? Frida. I think his name, last name was Frida. What they did was they stretched out the amount of time from uh, 
the time she kills Mrs. Voorhees till little Jason pops out of the water, they made that so long that everybody gave up. Because, you know, everybody's going like, oh, it's going to be a carry ending. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's, you know, it's going to be that, you know. And what they just kept making it longer and longer and longer. And people just kept giving up. And they're going like, well, I guess that's the movie, you know. That's it, you know. So even the people who were stalwart horror fans just said, well, I'm, well, I guess that's it. I mean, everybody gave up. So that when, by the time uh, Ari, Ari Lehman comes flying out of the water and drags her into the water, I mean, place goes crazy, you know. So my problem is this. I'm going like, Oh, great. Now I've got to write a piece of music that says, hey, this movie is over. Okay. And the movie is over. Put on your coat, Martha. Take the popcorn with us. Let's get out of here. You know. Uh, And I have to keep it going. And I have to make it. But I also have to make it sort of dreamy. And I have to make it melodic. And I have to make it strange in some sort of weird way and up until now you have to understand there's not been a melody in this entire film other than the song in the diner <laughs> the, only, the only thing the only thing that's been is basically jason kills jason pension jason fights you know you know or or in this case mrs mrs Lori's kills tension and scares you know Mm. there is no there has been no melody so so i'm going like well you know i did write that song it's kind of a nice song and then all of what's it hit me sail away tiny sparrow she's in a boat she's sailing away she's kind of a tiny she's kind of a little small you know girl in a boat as, as the like, Brits would say, she's a bird. Yeah, she fits. It fits. Yeah. So then I said, but what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play it really slow. And then I'm going to, there's a thing, uh, there's a uh, processing called uh, flange. It's called flanging. And it's a, it's a, uh, it's a uh, sidewave sweep of the filter so that, it, it, it sweeps the highs out, the down to the lows, the back up to the highs. So you get this kind of like... Yeah, that, that of kind of wah-wah I, deal to it. Yeah, it's kind of, but it's, it's like a really slow wah. Yeah. Like wah-wah would be like real fast flanging. It would be like if you could flange every two bars, like it'd be really hard to do. But uh, anyway, there's a big a flanger that you could use and... So anyway, I flanged it, and I but I flanged the whole track. So everything's getting flanged, and I just you know sat down with strings and and made it sound like Ed credits music, and played the piano, the melody on the piano, and just tried to make it as sweet and weird, just like you described it, and make it sound like it's the end of the movie, and 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 I really was able to stretch it out, and like I said that. They stretched it out so long that everybody gave up on anything happening, and then, wham! Out comes uh, uh, Ari, Jason, and yeah, Jason. the movie ends. You know, so uh, or at least we go to the hospital for the. What about the boy, man? We didn't see no boy, man. <laughs> that he's still there. <laughs> and um, so, it. It's I I actually uh, on on the uh, the kid ma I, I was curious because it is you know a very distinctive evocative thing that is when when you think of the Friday the Thirteenth films everybody they always say ch 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 but it's kid 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 ma 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 and you yeah, know that's exactly. well, happens, because it's happens, killer mom people always ask people always ask me about that you know. What's ironic is that score of the first one, actually the second one too, uh, it's 13 people in a basement in New Jersey. 
It's amazing okay. because it, it seems nine, grandiose. Well, there's there's nine string players, three brass players, and me. And I and I played all the percussion. Uh, I did the voice thing. I played tin whistle. I played all kinds of things like that. And that's all it was. It was just a me and an engineer and and those players. But uh, it, it just made a sound that really worked. And what happened was, of course, as soon as they heard that, they went, "Oh my God, that is so cool!" So they, "Oh, you got to you got to put that in part two. And I go like, "Well, Mrs. Voorhees is dead. Do I have all Jason hears the voice?" Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was my question. Is you know it, it the the that's that's the so voice in her head. Now he, now he, but then now, now Jason has it. it. Now he's hearing his mother say it to him. You know. And yeah. and you know I also there's there's the scene at the end of part two where Jenny is pretending to be her his mom. Oh, I love that scene. Yeah, Shay Jason. Yeah. And and I I just I've, I've always been curious if you know it's very much like at least in your head from interpretation that where she heard his voice he hears her voice constantly exactly 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 and then to take it a step further because I, I'm kind of obsessed over this um, with Friday the Thirteenth Part Five when Jason is dead and it's Roy why do we hear the voice why do we hear why, be, why because, because at that point it's just iconic right it, is is that the reason not only is it iconic but it's also uh, you have to understand not only is it iconic but at that point my job was to not I couldn't you understand if I had I had someone always said to me which one was the hardest to write and I said part five was the hardest to write because I knew before I started that it was Roy the ambulance driver mm -hmm. okay so I had to I had to make everybody think it was Jason so I had to work extra I, I mean if you listen to that I I mean I went way out of my way to just make everything as crazed and uh, as big as possible because I, I had, it's almost like I had to convince myself that it was Jason. So, I mean, it, and not to use that, I had to use that too. And and one of the things that I picked up uh, just listening... I mean, it's interesting that you, it's interesting that you, uh, you think that why would, why would Roy uh, hear that? I don't, maybe, I don't know, maybe Roy just Maybe Roy obsessed about Jason. Who the hell knows? I mean, he did have a, a the, news clipping in his wallet. So, yeah, he, and yeah it, there, there's a lot about that that whole thing that that you know seems like there's this odd disconnect. It, it works, but there is this weird kind of you know, and and I just my interpretation listening because I listen to each one of the scores. Um, for the films, and I and I tried to put myself in the headspace of where you were, and listening to part two as opposed to part one, it it feels almost wetter, if that makes sense. Where it it feels kind of uh, a little bit more uh, aggressive, but it but there's this level of moisture inside of the the music where it, where it feels like you know well, okay. it, go ahead. yeah I'll tell you I'll tell you, I'll tell you what you're hearing and uh, that's another people always ask me well how the heck did you you know keep keep uh, coming up with this and coming up with sort of new ways of doing the same thing and I and I always say what the funny thing about it is that. Not so much with part one and part two, but with some of them, they waited enough time so that I would get a new piece of gear. Okay? You know what I mean? I yes. get a new synth or something. <laughs> and, like, and for example, in, in, in part two, uh, I, I believe I got, there was a, 
I think I had gotten my first DX7, which had, which actually had a, 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 a patch in it called Water Garden, which which I used a lot. And actually, I used it in house too, uh, not house too, but house, house also. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but also there was another uh, uh, piece of gear that was a Korg. It was like a Korg mini synth, and it had this. It had uh, something called a random sample, random, uh, uh, a random. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to call it a random sampler, but like for example, I, I don't know how much do you know about music. Do you know about chords and stuff. I, honestly, I, I only know feeling, and and that's okay. That's right, well, my that's even better. That's the that's the best way to know music. But it's interesting that you said wetter because that was one of the things. But there's another thing in that in that part two score where this this particular synth, let's say you held down four notes, like like if you went to the piano and you just pushed down four notes mm-hmm. and you held them down, okay, that would be a chord, okay. So what 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 this synth did, it just randomly bounced around those four notes. Like real high, real low, sort of in the middle, high, low, in the middle, just bounce them all over high and low in, in a random sort of rhythmic order. See? And, and that's also another feeling that made it seem uh, like it might have been uh, hallucinate or, or slightly into the, into the mind. Yeah, it felt very uh, dreamlike. Right, exactly. That's exactly, and and, and especially in the uh, the I used to call it Shea Jason, where where the head was with all the candles. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they called the Jason Lair. I called it Shea Jason. I like that uh, better. Like it has some sweet neon yeah, but sign. Was, yeah, and Amy, Amy Steele. That was a fun. That was a good good job there. And um, <clears throat> you had mentioned House, and I actually kind of wanted to talk about uh, House because it, it's one of those films that when you watch it, you know, obviously it's directed by Steve Miner, and, you know, it's got your score on there. But it, it does, it feels very much like a Friday the 13th film, um, just from my interpretation. And, and one of the things that kind of stands out with your work even things like Iron Eagle Three, you know, uh, you you hear your your voice, you know, the the oh, thank you. Thank the, you. Wow. the chords and the horns. It all feels very Manfredini, and and you can like if if you listen to any of this stuff to any kind of level, you can pick up things that you know are inherently yours and. Was that always something that uh, you? That's a voice. That's a, it's a voice that I that I've. First of all, I, I'm uh, thrilled and uh, astonished that you said that, and uh, thank you so much, because that means that means I got through. And when you say that you what you know about music is feeling, and that's one of the things I try to when I go to these lectures that I do at colleges. I try to explain to these kids who have been studying three and four years of music. Mm-hmm. And I try to explain to them, somewhere back a long time ago, you, me, everybody in this room, you know, while we all, I went to college, I studied, I got a bachelor's, a master's, and almost a doctorate studying music. So I know a lot about music and how it's put together. And then I, Beyond that, I studied and read and analyzed a whole bunch of music. I said, but somewhere back a long time ago, when I was five years old and when you were five or six years old, you heard a piece of music and that piece of music touched you. And and I said, that's what you've got to keep in the front of your mind at all times. Music touches you. It's, I mean... I know we all study, we learn to listen and go like, oh, I know what the chord is. I know what those notes are. Oh, I know how to do this. I know how to do that. I know how to do that. 
but if you can't write music that touches somebody or that that evokes the feeling, especially in film music, uh, that then then you're missing the boat because that's what you've got to do. And sometimes it's just one note. I mean, you don't have to dazzle me with every chord that you know. You, you just just say what you, say what needs to be said, but uh, say it with say it with the correct feeling. And I mean, I've acquired uh, skills and 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 a, and a technique and, and an approach to film music that you. I'm sorry to say. I know it is mine. It's uniquely mine because I actually never studied how to score a film. Mm-hmm. I just started doing it. I, mean, I studied how to write a lot, and I've been touched by music and I hear it. But I always try to, I always try to go for that feeling part of it, the emotional part of it, the dramatic part of it, before I go back and go like, oh, let's see what that guy was doing. I see how he got that to work. There's a lot, when you go to school, they teach you all the mechanics of it and not so much the, the uh, art, the, uh, the, the you soul, know, the actual, you can't the teach soul. the soul. Well, you could, you could teach the soul, but you gotta, you gotta be looking for it, you know. I think you have to have the soul to to give the soul. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have it. A lot of people have it. But what I'm saying is that when you go to, I mean, look how many people love film music and don't know. You know, my brother always says to me, he says, "You're writing music for people who don't know any idea of what you're doing, but they want to be moved. They only care about if they're being moved by what you write. Then you've written the right stuff." They don't care what you know about music. They don't care if you got degrees. They don't care if you're the world's greatest saxophone player. They don't care about any of that. All they want to do is plunk down their twelve bucks or whatever it is, and they want to be they want to be moved by what comes out of there. They don't care what the chords are. They don't care about any of that. You're writing music for people who don't know anything about music. So. What I'm saying is that when you go to school, they they teach you all the mechanics about that, but you have got to create something that says that's going to communicate with someone who doesn't give a damn about whether you got an A in counterpoint or not. <laughs> uh, uh, honestly, uh, that is, I think, kind of the perfect place to uh, step away from this. This was way more than I than I expected it to be and I, I'm so grateful uh, to have you talk with me because I, I cannot undersell this to you I one of the things that and and this isn't me kissing your ass because you're here with me talking right now this is this is gonna be 100% from the heart one of the few people the, the first time I really understood that there was a particular voice behind something was listening to a Harry Manfredini score. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, there, there are guys like John Williams and, and, uh, Danny Elfman and, um, Bernard Herman, you know, that all have very distinct voices. But the first time that I recognized that distinct voice was you. And I grew up with these films. I've adored these films. And to be able to speak with you for the length of time that I've been able to speak with you, and and for you to kind of validate some of these feelings and opinions that I've had about your work um, just by you know talking is a huge honor for me. So I, I just want to thank you uh, genuinely and one hundred percent. This this was a, a very special experience for me. Uh, but please, I I want you to be able to tell people where they can find you, um, you know, the things that you have, that you've, that you're currently working on. I know that you worked on the Friday the 13th video game, and I, well, I wanted to pick your brain I, about I am, that. I am, I am still working on Friday the 13th the video game. And, and you know, if you're this ever interested, a, we can... Job, this is a job that never stops. <laughs> it's the song that never ends, and it goes on and on, my friends. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's... Uh, <laughs> 
I just I just got three kills this afternoon that they sent me. Oh, you got to do these kills, you know. Uh, but uh, I, first of all, you made my evening, and you may have made my entire month by what you just said, uh, because that's it's so nice to hear that. If you just want to maybe toss out like your website, or if you I don't know if you have well, it's, uh, like it's, a Twitter or anything. It's really it's it's very complicated. It's uh, HarryManfredini.com. I don't know. I think I might have to write that down. Yeah. Son of a gun. I don't know if I'm going right, to remember. But I mean, there's, uh, and there's, you know, there's a lot of music you can listen to. And uh, uh, I, I I try to key up, keep up on it. But, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, you get behind and uh, things things happen and you get I've got a I've got a bunch of irons in the fire, some interesting stuff happening. So, uh, but when something really important happens, I definitely put it up there. But uh, I've got a couple more albums coming out. I've got some uh, CDs coming out. Of, you know, of mostly Friday stuff and things like that. They just put out the uh, vinyl of uh, House One and Two. So that's, cool. that's real cool. Very nice job. Uh, the guys at Waxwork. Uh, so, uh, they're putting out a, an album of, I think we're on Friday 4. I think they may be doing 4 and 5 at the same time or something. I'm not sure. And some of these but, vinyl uh, prints are really, really nice. Like, I, I, I seen one, it was just blood on the inside of the vinyl, and I just thought that yeah, was Yeah, yeah, they make all different kinds of records. Yeah, it's pretty cool, yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I, thank you so much. Seriously, I, I, I'd i like to just call you Harry because, you know, I well, feel like we've, we've had a good conversation. But I, I feel weird doing that because, like I said, you, you've, you as as a composer, well, feel, meant the world to me feel, for a very long time. It's better you call me Harry than, you know, Butthead or something. No, like I, I, I just, I feel compelled to just call you Mr. Manfredini because that is what you are to me. You're, you're, you're Harry Manfredini. Well, that's okay, that's okay but it, that was my dad, so I'll, I'll just be <laughs> Harry. Okay, well, if you guys are here just because of Harry, which I do not blame you, but you want to find out more about us, you've enjoyed the conversation, want to find out, uh, you know, what else we have going on. You can do that in a couple of different ways. First of all, you can start by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash CreaturePod, uh, by following us on Twitter and Instagram at CreaturePod. Again, this has been just a huge just honor and experience for me, and I could not begin to thank uh, you, Harry, enough, and, and that's going to really do it for us. So... Uh, for Harry Manfredini, it's crazy to even say that, and for myself, again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com, Stitcher, and iTunes. Listen to someone you trust. Sail away, tiny sparrow.